Well, this morning, we were continuing on with uh, a little study of God the Father. And it's so much easier to understand God the Father when we compare him with natural fathers like we are. We, we have experience. There are some things that you can talk about that you don't experience, so you don't have that much know-so about it. But when you have experience, when you've been there, when you can say, I know because I've been there. And that's the way it is with being a father. Now, there, when young people who have never been married and aren't fathers, it may be difficult for them to comprehend some of the things we're saying. But most everybody here is a father except a few of our young folks that will be fathers someday. So the, if you want to turn to Psalm 103.13, because that'll be our first scripture, we won't read it right now. Yes, we will read it. That's, that's a good one to read. This will give you an idea of what we're talking about in our first point today. In Psalm 103.13, it says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Now, the comparison today is a loving father, a normal, natural loving father, is much grieved if his children prove wicked and rebellious. And yet he still uses gentle and mild ways to reclaim them. And this was a scripture, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Now look up at verse 10, and we're going to read now down through verse 14, because this is good about God the Father and normal fathers. The first verse in 10 is talking about God is the Father. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. You know what that would have meant? That would have meant ball game. That's it. That's when that fat lady would sing. It would be all over if he treated us according to our iniquities. Now, what if we treated our kids according to their iniquities? Really, really, you know? Well, maybe they'd be better kids. I don't know. But God doesn't treat us that way. Now look, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now we're sinners and we continue to sin. And yet, because of a thing called mercy, because of something here that is as great, as high as the heaven is above the earth, mercy. He doesn't treat us according to our sins. And then that nice verse, like as a father pitieth his children, the comparison, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Why? For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Now, man was created out of dust. And man was created perfect. But when man fell, when man disobeyed his maker, and that's such a story in itself, why? Why would Adam disobey a simple, simple request 
like don't eat off of one tree. When every other type of fruit tree in the world was there and blossoming and producing fruit at its very finest point, why that one that had a restriction on it? You see, God didn't give him a hard thing to do, just says don't eat of that tree. Well, now the Lord knows our frame in its fallen condition. And he remembers that we're dust. Not glorified dust anymore, but fallen dust, okay? Now, that was, we're talking about the normal father being grieved if his children prove wicked and rebellious, and Adam did that. And in our own families, we can see the same thing. Some parents aren't quite as blessed to have children that always obey, that always lead a clean life, that get a good education, that get good jobs, that do fine. And then there's some that prove just the total opposite of everything you ever taught them or everything you ever expected of them. And they grieve the heart. They hurt the heart. They hurt your whole life. But still in all, the parent tries. The parent tries to help them out. Now God the Father expresses his feelings about his children in Isaiah 1-2. Look at Isaiah 1-2. Once it started with Adam, the fall began and it became a, a regular landslide. It became a waterfall. It just multiplied. Isaiah 1, 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. And the next verse goes to show you that even beast. That, have, that don't have, supposedly, the common sense that people have, obey better. It says, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, and my people doth not consider a sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. He's talking about his children. He's talking about the ones that have all of the benefits of God as their father. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger, and they're gone all the way backward. Some normal, natural parents have to experience this themselves, too. How about all the druggies? You know, there aren't any parents out there that purposely raise criminals they don't parents love their babies they bring them up they take care of them of course there's a lot of child abuse now it's because of the times we're living in but say the normal family every girl out there who's a prostitute did their mother and daddy raise them to be that no no they, they break their parents hearts but there's plenty of them out there and it's because they rebel against their father they rebel against their parents. 
Now, God the Father also shows his patience. Look at Jeremiah 3, verse 7, 12, and 13. Jeremiah 3, 7, 12, and 13. And I said after she'd done all these things, the Lord had just got through, put him in a category, turn thou unto me, even after she had done all these things, this is Israel. But she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Now look at verse uh, 12 and 13. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou, backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. He's still willing to take them back. And I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thy trans thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. That's the only qualification there. The only thing you have to do, just acknowledge your iniquity. And that's the same with a sinner coming to Christ today. You've got to come as a lost sinner. You acknowledge your iniquity. You acknowledge your sinful self. You acknowledge your sinful ways. You come to Christ needing mercy. And when you ask him for mercy, he gives you mercy problem is, is that they don't want to acknowledge their iniquity to God. When a sinner's coming to Christ, he don't have to acknowledge anything to anybody else at any time. Now, the world kind of makes you think that, oh, you've got to go to the priest, or you've got to go to this one that you've done. Now, you don't have to go to anybody. You bring it to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our mediator. He's our intercessor. In this New Testament times, that we, we have a mediator. We have an intercessor. We know all about him. He lived and died and rose again and is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for his people. Who's his people? Well, his people prove themselves to be his people by coming to him, by having an interest in eternity. You see, this thing about having an interest in eternity is so peculiar today. Now, I'm talking about your neighbors. On the right side, on the left side, across the street, those you work with, those you see shopping, how many have an interest in their own soul and in eternity? They don't. It's such a blessing to have God's Word and be able to see it yourself. See, if this book was just a normal book, it would be it'd be it wouldn't be worth talking about. But this thing's been around for thirty five hundred years. Moses wrote thirty five hundred years ago. Our Lord Jesus Christ put his seal of approval upon what Moses said. He constantly referred, if you would have believed Moses, you'd have believed me, because he says he wrote about me. Now, we're talking about the God-man putting his stamp of approval upon this book. So what do our public school systems do? Block it out. 
Reject it. Don't want it in the schools. Why? Well, I'm telling you, tear up their curriculum right now is one thing. But the world does not care about the holiness of God's Word. All right, so we've just seen here where God shows his patience, but what does he require? Just a simple thing. Acknowledge thine iniquity, and I'll take you back. Now, God deals gently with the ones that come back. Look at Matthew 23, 37. Matthew 23, 37. This is getting very close to the end of our Lord's life here on earth. And, of course, he, he knows it. And he knows where his death is going to take place. And it has to do with the ancient city of Jerusalem, God's favorite city, whether anybody knows that or cares anything about it. It's God's favorite city. And in verse 37, our Lord is weeping, mourning over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Of course, him knowing, him being God, knew that what was coming upon Jerusalem, totally destroyed. He says, Behold, your house is left unto you, desolate alright he still deals gently with them oh Jerusalem Jerusalem and then God the Father frequently invites his people to repent to come to him I'll give you one example it's in Isaiah 118 Isaiah 118 we had read about them being a rebellious people about even uh, oxen knowing uh, who their owner are and uh, the ass knows where he's supposed to go at night. He said, but my, my people, no, no, they don't know. So over in verse 18, a very, very gentle invitation. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But you see, people don't want to reason about sin. Let's reason about our family problems. Let's reason about angels. Let's reason about the scribes and Pharisees, but nobody wants to reason about their sin. That's the whole object of God saving the sinner is to reason about your sin. And it's going to be a scarlet when he shows it to you. And it's going to be red like crimson when he shows it to you. And when God gets through bringing the sinner down and they cry for mercy, they're going to see that their sin shall be as white as snow. 
God says he puts them behind his back. He, he buries them in the depths of the sea. But he's gentle. He said, this is a rebellious people. They, never, they, they rebelled against me, yet he says, come, let us reason together. I'm going to give you another one in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 55, 7. Isaiah 55, 7 is another one of these gentle, gentle invitations of God the Father to his children. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he'll have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now can you see that the ones that our Lord pardons, and that the ones that the Lord invites are wicked and unrighteous? Why is that? Well, I tell you what, the righteous and the good livers and the religious are not going to come. They're self-sufficient in their own eyes and in their own lives. If you're going to have your sins pardoned, you better come as a wicked person. You've got to. God saves wicked people. He saves unrighteous persons. And our Lord Jesus Christ tells you in the New Testament over there in Luke, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Same thing as a wicked person, an unrighteous man, a sinner. I came not to, uh, to save the righteous, but the lost. I came, I came to save lost sinners. All right, let's go on to our next point. If a father cannot gently admonish his child, then the father must use a rod to chastise him. Now, we're getting into a modern problem of parents not correcting their children. Now, it's very important that you correct children. You let them get away with one thing, they will soon be getting away with two. Children are not inherent dummies. And they have to learn by being corrected, by being chastised. Here's the ad admonition in the scriptures to parents. Turn to Proverbs 23. Look at verse 13 and 14. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. That's very important. Are you concerned about their little body? Or are you concerned about their soul? You've got to be concerned about their soul. Now this, I don't know what kind of a rod they're talking about. I, I would never hit any kid with a rod, but I could certainly use a belt. I could certainly use a little switch. I could certainly let them know that they were going to be punished. You've got to lay something on them, and daddies that are big and strong shouldn't use their hands. You never see here where the Bible speaks of hitting a kid with your hand. 
It's always a little switch. They call it a rod here. If you punish him, you may deliver his soul from hell because you let him grow up rebellious and let me tell you, they're going to get you. They're going to get you in the end. Like you keep them in a nest all of their life, you raise them like little birds and out they fly. And when they come back, they'll peck your eyes out. That's how children return if you don't correct them when they're young. Now, God the Father, if his children be stubborn and insist on rebellion, now I'm talking about someone that God's dealing with, he visits their transgressions with a rod and stripes. Look at Micah 6.13. Micah, oh, you're going to say, where in, where in the world is Micah? It's right after Jonah. Jonah, Micah, okay? Let's see what's before that. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Then Obadiah, then Jonah, Micah. Okay, Micah 6.13. Therefore also will I make thee sick in smiting thee, and making thee desolate because of thy sins. God's telling Israel, I'm going to keep on smiting them till they're sick. Now turn to Psalm 89, look at verse 31. Psalm 89 and verse 31. If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. So God tells the people, if you're not going to obey, if you're not going to go according to the rules, you're going to have to be punished. Okay? Now, to be without chastisement is a sign of a bastard, meaning one that does not belong in the family. Now, this is God's teaching. Turn to Hebrews 12, look at verse 5. Hebrews 12 and verse 5. Now, some folks might think that they are good enough that they are going to do what the Bible suggests about repenting and being good, and they're going to make it without being chastised. i got a little news for you. All of God's children get chastised. Verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint, when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, ladies, you're included in sons, okay? This Bible masculinity, meaning his children, is for men and women alike. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not. But if ye be without chastisement, 
whereof all are partakers. I just got through telling you that. Then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and gave, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us with after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. We've got to be brought into line. We don't come there by ourselves. Now, God chastens those that he loves. And this is one of the weirdest scriptures in the Bible. It's in Revelation 3.19. It would, to the world, it's a contradiction. To God's people, it's a revelation and a confirmation of how God brings them down when he's going to save them. Revelation 3.19. Here's our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the last church, to the church that the days that you and I live in. This is the days of the church of Laodicea. It says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, is that how you and I would handle an object of love? I know when you're in love with someone, you do everything under the sun, to keep them happy, to make them smile, to just dote upon them with everything you possibly can, and that's the normal human heart. And that's the way I think normal human hearts should be. They should be full of love, always showing it. Showing it in little things, showing it in big things. But here's the important one. This you set apart from human love. Our Lord says as many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens. Why? Because there's a great change has to take place. The change has to be you have to see yourself a sinner. You have to see the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior, as a Redeemer. And nobody's going to say, well, I'm just a big old sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I know. They don't do that by nature. They don't do that naturally. Everyone thinks they're perfectly okay. Maybe a few minor flaws here and there. But the best that they do and the good things in their life and what they intend to do, to take this scale, bring the scale down, and that gives you an entrance into heaven. It's not like that. Our Lord has to rebuke you and chasing you about your sin. That's why he says, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. What's repentance? It's crying over your sin and over your sinful life. But that's showing his love. When the Holy Spirit begins to rebuke and reprove you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the first sign of God's great love towards you. Let's look at Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. I could stay there in Roman and Revelation 3, 19 for the next 30 minutes. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12.
My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. All you parents, not grandparents. Now, grandparents don't have to correct your children. You understand that? They will in order to help them. They'll soothe them when they're being punished and all that. Grandparents, you know, there's not much about grandparents in the Bible, is there? As if, as if they didn't know just how bad they are with kids. Yeah, we'll spoil them. We'll let them get away with little things because we can give them back at night. We don't have to sleep with them or live with them all the time. And we can just love the daylights out of them and give them back. But a father has to correct his children. And a mother has to correct their children. You'll be a grandparent someday, too. Then you can spoil them rotten. Okay. Earthly fathers are men that are subject to passions and may sometimes unjustly harden their hearts and prove cruel to their children. That happens. Now, of course, we're living in a day of child abuse. You know, I, it's hard for me to imagine there's that much going on out there. But, of course, in the last 50 years, there's been a lot more divorces. There's been a lot more uh, ungodliness. People have really came down a long way since I was a kid. Now, in simple things, I'm talking about when I was a boy, we never locked our doors of the house. Never. You didn't worry about your windows being up at night. Front doors could be open. Back doors open. Never. I never had a key to the house. People didn't go in other people's houses. The neighborhood was safe. Send a kid to the store, an eight-year-old kid, in the summertime or in a snowstorm. Send him up to the store 10 o'clock at night. He wasn't afraid that somebody was going to abduct them. See, we're living in bad times. How much worse can they get? People afraid to even get outside their house at night. Well, even with good parents, sometimes they get a little angry with the kids. They get uh, might even prove cruel to them. You know, I used to, I used to have some of the the most cruel punishments for my boys. Ah, you didn't do what I told you, huh? Okay, take this basketball and go out in the yard and shoot for 20 minutes. That's your punishment. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Isn't that cruel? Cruel and unusual punishment. Well, both my kids can knock the center out of a basketball goal right now from anywhere. They got punished quite a bit. Now, our Heavenly Father is God and not man, and therefore does whatsoever is good and right. Never 
wronging any of his children. Look at Psalm 119, 75. Psalm 119, 75. Longest chapter in the Bible. David has to admit he's been punished a lot too. He says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hath afflicted me. And now turn to Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11. Oh, we've already read this. We've already read this, but this is the Heavenly Father also doing what's right. For 10 says, For they verily after, a, meaning a natural father, after a few days chasten us for, after their own pleasure, but God, this is the he, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness, that we may yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Okay, another thing about earthly parents, and uh, our tape is going to run out, but I'm just going to keep on talking as long as i got a point here. Earthly parents, even if they would happen to be the president, or if they were a king, are men of little dignity or importance in comparison with the greatness and glory of our almighty God. Our Heavenly Father has no superior in quality or anybody equal in dignity. His majesty is infinite and his glory unspeakable. I want you to turn to Revelation 5, look at verse 11. Revelation 5, 11. Now here's a little bit about the dignity and glory of our God. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. And the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The very least of any of these things excels all the kings on earth. That's what a great father he is. Now, earthly fathers may not know how their kids are doing if they live in some distance, or they may not be able to help them if they don't know their condition because they're at a distance. But God the Father knows all the wants of his children, no matter where they are, no matter what their condition, and he can give sufficient, suitable, seasonable relief, though all of the powers of hell and wicked men are against them. Look at Philippians 4.19. I think we're going to close with these, this scripture and the one following. Philippians 4.19.
All right, it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. And our last scripture for the day, Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10. This is concerning needs or considering or concerning enemies. Fear thou not, for I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness.